You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Our scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22, to chapter 9, verse 1. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you know that I love to read about presidential history. I have a large number of of presidential biographies at my home, and in fact, uh, right now I'm wearing socks with George Washington's face on them. I love to read about how these men became the leaders that they are, and, and what were the qualities that, that caused them to want to, to be national leaders like that. I look for common threads. What are common threads that they have in common? And there, there is a very funny sort of common thread that runs throughout the modern-day presidency. Every president since Richard Nixon has said something publicly like, I don't care about polls. I don't pay attention to polls. I just want to do the right thing. Yet every president since Richard Nixon 
has spent more than the previous administration has on internal polling data. They want to know how are they being perceived by the nation, by the people. They want to know how do people see me. That's exactly what Jesus does in our passage from the Gospel of Mark. This is actually the most important passage in all of the Gospel of Mark. It's the focal point of Mark's gospel. It's the hinge in the middle of the gospel. Ancient book writers did this often. They would place a story in the very middle that served as the interpretive lens through which you understand the rest of the story. So everything in Mark has led to this moment, and everything that is after this story comes from it. And it's trying to get at the very important question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is his identity? And as we explore this story, we're going to take it in three chunks. And I want to talk to you first about true vision. Secondly, about true titles. And third, about true discipleship. So first, true vision. And here, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Mark 8, 22 to 26. This is the story of the blind man. And it's a very odd story. Because if you were to take this story and pluck it out of context, it would seem almost like Jesus makes a mistake here. Because in the story, there's a man who comes to Jesus who's blind, and Jesus literally spits in the guy's eyes. I've never seen that in an Easter pageant. He spits in the guy's eyes, and then he says to the guy, can you see? And the man says, yeah, I can see, but the people are looking like trees. And Jesus literally has to go, oh, let me do that again. And then he heals him, and then he can finally see clearly. So if you insist on reading the Gospels like literalistic, journalistic accounts, then you kind of have a problem with this story. But I think there's something more artistic happening here. See, in the Gospels, vision is always a metaphor for understanding. And specifically, it's always a metaphor for understanding if someone can perceive or comprehend who Jesus is. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. A man has been born blind, and he, Jesus heals the man. And at the end of the story, he has this conversation. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him say this and said, Surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. That's from John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. See, the Pharisees in this story are blind because they fail to understand who Jesus is. So if we approach this story from the Gospel of Mark with that kind of framework, what we have is somebody who sees, but their vision is not exactly clear. They see, but they do not see clearly. So in the Gospels, true vision is seeing who Jesus Christ is is. True vision leads us into our next story, which is in Mark 8, 27 to 33. This is when Jesus does his internal polling data and asks his disciples, who do you say, or who, who do people say that I am? Interestingly, the first detail that we learn is that this story takes place in Caesarea Philippi, 
What you need to know is that Caesarea Philippi was on the border of Judean and Gentile territory, and that's not an accident. This conversation is pertinent not just to the Judeans, but to all people, and Mark wants us to know that. So Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them, "Uh, So who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond by saying, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah, and other people say you're one of the prophets. Now, all three of those are similar answers, by the way. John the Baptist was a prophet. Elijah Elijah was one of the more famous Old Testament prophets. And interestingly, Elijah's death is not recorded in the Bible. Instead, he hands his power off to his disciple Elisha, and then a chariot of fire comes and takes Elijah away into the sky. So even now in some Jewish theology, uh, there are rituals where you set an empty place at the table and that place is set for the prophet Elijah because there's the belief that Elijah is going to return. So some people say that Jesus is Elijah having returned. And then others say that Jesus is one of the prophets. What's interesting is that Lots of other religious perspectives in the world, even today, that's exactly the way they view Jesus Christ. They see him as a prophet, as as one among many religious leaders. But then Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them more pointedly, Okay, but who do you say that I am? I mean, you guys are the one who have spent the most time with me. How do you see me? Peter is the one who answers. And don't you just love Peter? I think of Peter whenever I uh, think of the scene from Christmas Vacation where Clark Griswold describes Cousin Eddie and he says that his heart is bigger than his brain. That's Peter. Peter responds to Jesus, Jesus' question of who do you say that I am? Peter responds with, you are the Messiah. Now, what does Peter mean by this? Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, you can sometimes hear words like Messiah and you sort of smile and nod, but don't actually think about what it means. What was the Messiah? The word Messiah, it's a Hebrew word that means anointed one. The Greek version of the word is familiar to you. It's the word Christ. The Messiah was not necessarily a theological figure. It was a political title. The Messiah was the person who would free the people from their oppression. In fact, in the Old Testament, the idea of a Messiah was political. It wasn't theological. In fact, when the people of Israel are allowed to return to their land after the Babylonian exile, the king of Persia, whose name was Cyrus, he was the one who allowed them to return. Isaiah, in Isaiah 45.1, uses the word Messiah to describe the king of Persia. So when Peter gives Jesus the title, you are the Messiah, it's likely that what Peter is imagining is that Jesus will be a political leader who will free the people. See, Peter is viewing the ministry of Jesus through his own cultural lens. And let's be honest, we probably do that too, don't we? There was a really interesting study a few years ago uh, that was done by a team of psychologists using what are called stereo-opticons. Stereo-opticons are glasses where when you put them on your face, in one eye is an image and in the other eye is a completely different image. 
And what they were studying is how will the brain make sense of two different images? Well, in the study, they interviewed 100 people from Mexico and 100 people from the United States. And the stereo opticons that they use on one eye was the image of a bullfighter, and on the other eye was the image of a baseball player. Every Mexican interviewed in the study said that the image was of a bullfighter, and every American interviewed said that the image was of a baseball player. They saw it, and their brain only made sense of it because of their cultural understanding. And I think that's what's happening here when Peter looks at the ministry of Jesus and says, well, this is clearly the Messiah. But Jesus does something surprising next. He doesn't say, nailed it, Peter. You're right. I'm the Messiah. In fact, he tells them not to say anything. And and if you've been listening to our Gospel of Mark series, you know that there is this concept in Mark called the Messianic secret. Jesus doesn't want people to go around telling others that he's the Messiah. And the reason for that is exactly what Peter is struggling with. Jesus knows that people are going to misunderstand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And instead, in verse 31, what Jesus does is rather than talk about the Messiah, he begins to teach them about the Son of Man. He talks about a completely different title than the one that they've just given him. The Son of Man. What is the Son of Man? Again, that's one of those churchy terms. We kind of hear it and smile and nod. The Son of Man, some people think it means, well, Jesus is talking about his humanity. I'm a, I'm a son of a man. I'm human. But that's not actually what it's referring to. It refers to a specific passage that we don't look at in church enough, but it comes from the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And just to set the stage here, the prophet Daniel has had a dream in which he sees four beasts devouring the earth. And Daniel tells us that these beasts are nations and empires, and God is in his throne room, and he condemns these beasts to die. And once the beasts are destroyed, Daniel sees this. This is Daniel 7, 13-14. I saw one like a human being. The phrase there is, Son of man, I saw one like a, like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. See, It's not the title of Messiah that Jesus claims in this conversation. It's the title of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying that he is the one that looks like a human being that Daniel saw in his vision. That he is the one who will ascend and sit at God's right hand. But he tells the disciples that this will happen in an unexpected way. Jesus says that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, that the Son of Man must be rejected and killed by his own people. Jesus is teaching them that the Son of Man will rule with God and will conquer the beast, but through love and humility and self-sacrifice. Look at what Jesus says 
later in the Gospel of Mark at his trial. This is Mark 15, 61-62. Again, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. See, again, Jesus is asked if he's the Messiah. He doesn't deny it, but rather than talk about being the Messiah, he moves on to talk about the Son of Man. Now, the disciples are familiar with the idea of the Son of Man, but what they are not familiar at all with is the idea that the Son of Man must suffer or be killed or even have a need to rise after three days. All of this is odd and unfamiliar, which is why Peter suddenly rebukes Jesus. Peter's embarrassed by all this mamby-pamby suffering and death talk. That ain't how a Messiah should be talking. And Jesus says to him, Get away from me, Satan, because you've got your mind on human things, not on divine things. Peter, you keep thinking that this whole movement is about what this can do for you instead of realizing that this is about what God can do through you. Like I said, Peter's heart's a little bigger than his brain because the true title of Jesus is not that of a political Messiah, but of a heavenly Son of Man. And we still struggle with this today. How many times do you hear Christians talk about that the what Christianity ought to be about is gaining political power? Why, if only we had somebody like us in the White House, if only we passed this kind of law, if only we had prayers back in school. That is all about power. And to me, that is about looking for a Messiah when instead Jesus says that he is something much bigger than that. He is the Son of Man who ascends on the clouds and sits at God's right hand. So we have true vision, we have true titles, and finally, true discipleship. Because in, in Mark 8, 34-9-1, Jesus moves into a series of statements that capture what he means by following this Son of Man who must suffer. And we could do a whole sermon series on these statements, and that's not a bad idea, frankly. But the one that I want to focus on is very familiar to us. It's Mark eight thirty four. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, Sometimes this verse is used as a reference for all suffering. Too many women have been told by preachers that their role in an abusive marriage is to carry their cross. Sometimes people with an illness or those who have lost a loved one or those who suffer from depression are told things like, well, I guess that's your cross to bear. But Jesus is not referring to overall suffering here. He is referring to the kind of suffering that occurs when you give everything to follow the call of the gospel on your life. And it is only when you understand that, it is only when you understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about what God can do for you, but what God can do through all of you, 
It is only when you understand that that you begin to see clearly what this gospel thing is really about. Do you understand why this is the most important passage in the gospel of Mark? Because this defines everything. So what I'd like you to do right where you're at, is I'd like you to imagine a scenario with me. And and I know this is going to be really cheesy for some of you, but I think there's some holiness in here too. I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you are standing with Jesus. And he turns to you. And he looks you in the eye. And he asks, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Because friends, I have to be honest with you. In your entire life, there will never be a more important question. Pray with me. God, we ask that we would be people who seek to have true vision, to see clearly who you are. We ask to be people who would assign to you your true title, not one among many in a religious buffet, but as the Son of Man, as the one whom sits at God's right hand and co-rules with God. Finally, we ask that you would help us to be true disciples, people who live out our faith in the world and daily make the decision to die to self so that we can live for you. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.